Hello, and welcome to the Crossroads Podcast, the show where Mark Meckler and Rita Peters discuss hot-button issues from a biblical perspective, helping to equip other Christians to bring light to a darkened culture. Rita is the Senior Vice President of Legislative Affairs, and Mark serves as the CEO and co-founder for Convention of States Action. Find out more by visiting conventionofstates.com slash pod. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Crossroads, where faith and culture meet. I'm Rita Peters, here with my co-host, Mark Meckler. Mark, Happy New Year. Same to you. It was a little bit of relaxation, which is kind of unusual in my line of work. So I was glad to be shut down, had the whole family in town, and now I'm ready to get started again on the new year. Me too. I am energized and ready to go. I love a new year. And, you know, the beginning of a new year is a time when many of us tend to be a little reflective and also to think forward about where we're headed in the new year and what our goals might be. So today, listeners, we're going to get a little bit personal on you as Mark and I share our hopes for the future of our country. And you all know Mark and I love America. So we've spent a bit of time thinking about the question, what kind of America do we want to leave for future generations? And then we challenged ourselves further to think about one action that we will be taking this year to work toward that goal. And I want to let you know that we have not discussed our answers with each other. So I actually have no idea what Mark is going to say. We might have the same answers. <laughs> I imagine there will be a lot of crossover. I think so, but we'll just we'll just take it take it as it goes. So, Mark, I'm going to let you kick us off. What's your What's your first one? You know, when I think about uh, the people who come after us, that the my kids, my grandkids, and and then even going broader to posterity more generally, <clears throat> it causes me to look backwards and think, well, what have we had in the past that maybe we've lost that would make the nation a better place? And and honestly, when I think backwards, if you think back as far as we can go, really in in knowing human history, you go back to the Old Testament, and and if you look at the Old Testament, I'm going to summarize this in, in the most generic way possible. I'm not a theologian, but the Old Testament is a series of events over a long period of time where people do what God expects of them and things go pretty well, and then they don't and things go poorly. And you can run that theme through from the Old Testament up to the modern day. And I think we've drifted far away from being what I would consider to be a godly nation that does what God expects of us. Uh, sometimes it seems like we're trying to do the opposite as a nation. So the thing that I would hope that we leave is that we leave a more godly nation than we found when we came in. And that's a big task. I mean, I think it's much worse than when I was born or when you were born right now. So we've got a lot of work to do in the time that God gives us left on this earth. On a personal level, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff for me that I can do. Number one is at a very personal level which is make sure that I'm engaged in prayer on a very regular basis. And I think most busy people struggle with this. They don't necessarily set aside the time. I know the amount of time that I spend in prayer varies pretty dramatically. And so for me, number one is very personal, which is committing to more prayer, more time with God, more time reading and, and ruminating on the word and trying to learn the lessons that God has to teach me. Number two is making sure that that is spread out within my own family 
And then number three, making sure that it's broadly spread across the nation, not just prayer, but living in a more godly way. I do that by participating in the teaching of biblical citizenship with Rick Green. And I would say for me personally, it's about speaking my faith openly and enthusiastically everywhere I go. It's not normally very acceptable in political circles to speak your faith openly. That's something that I've been doing since I became a Christian almost 10 years ago. I wear it on my sleeve. I talk about it everywhere I go where it's appropriate. It's not that I'm out there evangelizing, quote unquote, necessarily. It's just that I'm not going to hide who I am. And at my core, who I am is a child of God and a follower of Jesus Christ. And so for me, that's from the smallest to the biggest, how I intend to affect this in the coming year. Mm. That's great, Mark. And you probably won't be surprised that it's very <laughs> similar to, to my first one. So my first answer is I want to leave behind an America that fears God. You know, Proverbs teaches us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But I think finding someone who really fears the Lord is sort of rare in our culture today. It doesn't seem like it's the norm. It seems like a long time ago, maybe it was the norm, but it seems rare today. And, you know, we can't be wise as citizens, as, you know, um, our public officials. We can't be wise if we don't know and understand our place in the world. And that starts with the fact that we are created beings. We did not make ourselves. We do not control the world. We can't just make ourselves into anything we want. That is not true. When you hear people telling that to our children, that is not true. And we don't control everything. We live under an immutable moral law, just as we live under natural laws in this universe. And, you know, it sort of seems rather basic as I'm saying that, but I think that is something that has been lost in our society. And it's a real shame because the truth is God's law, whether you're a, a believer or not a believer, God's law is the basis for good, just civil law and good and just society. Whether you believe in God or not, whatever your relationship with him, that is just true. And, you know, on a personal level, fearing the Lord, not in the sense of being afraid of God, but in the sense of honoring him and respecting him leads to peace and contentment personally, as we trust in his sovereignty. He rules the affairs of individuals and of nations. And I really want to leave behind an America that fears God. Now, my way of pursuing this is pretty narrow. Um, but first of all, it just like you, Mark, it involves doing a daily Bible study and prayer time. I start my day with that. In fact, I get up super early because I found that if I don't start my day with that, and if I don't do it before everyone else in my household is up and moving around, then it tends not to happen. So I'm committed to doing that every day. Um, and also extending it a little bit further, I do a morning devotional with my kids before they go to school, because that is a way I can see 
you know, of sort of paying it forward and ensuring that that becomes, you know, more and more a part of all our culture. And then finally, um, I and a couple of my kids who are still living at home, we volunteer with a couple of different programs in our community um, that do, you know, teach kids God's word and his truth in addition to helping kids with homework and, you know, doing other practical things like that. So that's my first one. It lines right up with yours, Mark. I'm not surprised because, you know, we are people whose faith um, impacts every every other part of our lives. Yeah. Okay. Can, I, can I jump in there real quick? Absolutely. I, you said a couple of things that I think are so important. Obviously, Winston thought they're important, too. <laughs> Uh, one, so one of the, there's actually two really big things. I mean, this idea of fear of God, when I first became a Christian, I didn't really understand it. And I think in modern society, one of the things we do is, I don't know a better way to say it. We sort of feminize God. We have this idea that God is just, he's just a loving person. Yeah, Yeah. Like some loving grandpa and you're going to go climb on his lap and he's going to hug you and make you feel all better. And obviously that is an aspect of God, right? God loves us like he loves his children. But in every healthy family, there is a healthy fear of the parents and hopefully especially the father, right? That I know that God sets the law in the world. He sets the law for my life. I knew that of my father in my own family when I was growing up. And that level of respect, it does actually rise to the level of fear. And people are uncomfortable with this idea that I fear God. People say, I hear this all the time, Rita, like, if I could meet one historical figure, who would it be? And a lot of people will say, oh, it's Jesus Christ. And I don't necessarily disagree with that. I just think that I would fall on my knees in fear, in reverence, in worship. I would know that he sees right through me. He sees every sin that I've ever committed. He sees what a flawed human being I am. That seems like a very fearful experience. I, I know that he would lift me up with love. But I think there is fear is a healthy part of that, that that I just think is really important. Number two, you talked about whether you're a believer or not. And I think this is really important thing that's been lost in our society. The thing that makes America so unique is that we were founded as a Christian society. And whether you're a believer or not, this idea of free will comes from being Christians. The idea of self-governance comes from being Christians. Uh, The idea that everybody, nobody is beyond redemption comes from Christians, Uh, rule of law, personal, all these things passed to us through, let's even call it more broadly, Judeo-Christian values. And so I think this is really important. If you're not a believer and you're watching this, we don't judge you for not being a believer, but we hope that you appreciate that you have a country that's based on Judeo-Christian values. Without that, I don't think we have a country for very long. Absolutely. Yeah. Great points, Mark. Okay. So moving on, what is your second hope about what you would want to leave behind for future generations? What kind of America? So number two for me would be, again, going back to the foundation and being what I would describe as a more self-governing nation. And if we want to tie this to the Bible, which I think is always a good idea, uh, it's uh, 1 Samuel 8, and in other words, we're, what we're going to do here is we're going to make a choice. Do, do we want a king, uh, you know, a traditional style king who rules over us, which I would argue 
It's largely what we have now. We treat our legislative members like kings and queens. We certainly treat the president like a king. You know, look at all the pomp and circumstance and all the authority that he's now imbued with. And I'm not being partisan when I say that. I just think this is unhealthy generally. I watched the State of the Union address. I, I really hate that. I don't think there should be one. He, he marches in like the monarch. The only thing that it, that's missing is the stole, the cape, and the crown. Everybody shakes his hand. If this were ancient times, they'd bow down and kiss the ring. They pretty much are doing that. That's not what a self-governing people looks like. Also, we want the government to do for us, provide for us, fight our wars for us, keep us safe, feed us, all of this stuff. And, you know, what we've been told, what God said in that situation to Samuel is, hey, it's not your fault that the people want a king. That's their fault. Give them what they want. And when they cry out to me, I won't hear their cries. And so what I want to make sure is that we do what God wanted of us as a people and we are self-governing. He gave us free will. We're allowed to choose our rulers from among ourselves. We should be responsible for ourselves. So again, starting at the personal, I'm responsible for my own family to the extent that that's possible. Uh, my family is then responsible for itself and their extended families. And ultimately, each of us is responsible for our entire government system at the local, state, and federal level. It's on each of us. And so what I intend to do to do that is to spread the idea of self-governance through convention of states. I have the opportunity. God's blessed me with the chance to be in the media, to do a program like this with you. We get to speak. It's unusual. We have a, a pulpit, essentially a bully pulpit. You and I get to speak with thousands, tens of thousands, ultimately millions of people because of the technology. So the ideas of self-governance, it's on us to spread those ideas and encourage people and the nation to be self-governing. I love it. So, Mark, my second one is different, but I'm going to skip to my third one and okay. do it now because it is right along the lines of what you just said, but phrased a little bit. It is a little bit different. So my third one is I want to leave behind an America that knows its history and its foundations, which is, you know, it is all about self-governance. Yep. But I see young people today, and I do have kids age 13 through 21, I don't think that they are learning enough about American history or about the Constitution. And I didn't either when I was in school. I don't know about you, Mark, but I don't feel like I got a good no. education in history. Certainly, I didn't know or understand the Constitution when I left high school even when I left college, even when I left law school, uh, I, I don't feel that. like I had a, <laughs> so if, if lawyers aren't learning the constitution in this country, who is, we have a citizenry, I think with a lot of people who don't understand the limitations on government power or the proper role of government in society or the limited jurisdiction of government. And I wouldn't know those things either, except that I happen to come to be really interested in them and study them later in life. And of course, that's part of our work now, Mark. But I don't think most people in America today have a good handle on those things. So what I'm going to do about this is, first of all, for my own personal study, because I don't think we should ever stop studying. You know, I want to be a lifelong student. 
I am currently reading and studying a book by Rob Nadelson, who is an amazing, incredibly brilliant constitutional scholar, author, attorney. And he has a book called The Original Constitution. And I think the subtitle is like what it said and what it actually meant. I'm in the process of reading that book and really studying it. And then the second thing I'm doing to try to, you know, help teach others what I'm learning is I write a regular column that appears on the stream and in my local newspaper. So I'm going to try to focus more and more of my columns on the things that I'm learning from that study. So pretty. Yeah, I, I would add, I love that. And there's a theme that runs through that, which is continual learning and self-improvement. If you're going to be a self-governing person, then you're going to improve yourself. And it's on you to do that. It's not on a school system to educate you. It's not on somebody else to force you. I'm constantly reading as I know you are. By the way, you you said something to me a couple of years ago that had a dramatic effect on my life. You probably don't even know this. You told me that you had made a conscious decision in your life to always be reading C.S. Lewis, that you always have something. So I'm constantly always reading C.S. Lewis now. I never run out of his fountain of wisdom never runs out. I'm always getting something. I just listened to a version of the screw tape letters. I'd never listened to it. I'd only read it. I got to say it's better listened to, which was really sure. extraordinary. So I listened to it. And then Ben Shapiro was doing a, a book study on screw tape letters. So I listened to Shapiro's. Uh, I just finished reading a book on Sam Adams. You'll laugh at this and you'll appreciate it, Rita. You and I both have these big libraries around us. <laughs> I, I bought a library book cart to sit next to me because I have all these books that I'm in process of or I want to read and I wanted them right next to me. So I now have a two shelf book cart right next to me with a whole bunch of stuff on it. Uh, I'm reading uh, Randy Barnett on the Constitution right now. I love your suggestion and Adelson. I'm going to go back and read that as well. Mm, it's a great read. Yeah. And I can't get enough of C.S. Lewis ever. I read his yeah. things over and over again. And every time pick up something new or understand something better. Yeah. And I don't know if you do this with your kids at all. I'm doing it with Jacob right now. We're doing screw tape letters together. Mm. So we're starting to go through a series of books. We started with mere Christianity. Uh, now we're doing screw tape letters. I think my next will be abolition of man with Jacob. Having an intellectual partner to discuss this stuff with for me really helps solidify what I'm learning. Mm. Awesome. I love it, Mark. Okay. What's next for you? I have one more. I don't know how many more you have. But... I've got one more. Uh, okay. I followed instructions. You said three. Uh, <laughs> the third is something that is especially close to me here in Texas right now. And what I want to do is I want to leave behind for posterity a more secure nation. And by secure, what I actually mean is something very specific. I mean, physical security. You can't have a nation without borders and without boundaries without walls. And a lot of people don't like that. That's politically incorrect in some quarters. And we have to rebuild the wall near us. We learned this from Nehemiah, right? You build the wall where you're at. And that's meant both physically and metaphorically. In their case, they were rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem to keep Jerusalem safe. Obviously, it has broader meta uh, metaphorical meaning, meaning that do what you can right where you are. You don't have to go somewhere else to, to make the world a better place. In this case, Texas has an open border. Millions of people are flowing across that border. Um, they're illegal aliens. They're bringing drugs. They're doing sex trafficking. 
it's it's so horrifying. I, I can't even go into the details. Little girls being sex trafficked, being brutally raped and killed. It's just horrible, horrible stuff. And it's destroying not just Texas, but the entire nation. And so one of the things that I am personally dedicating myself to is to helping an effort to build a movement to rebuild our border security in the United States of America, to build a safe and sane and secure immigration system. Because I think without that, then we don't leave a country to our children and grandchildren. Amen. I love that. That's great. And it is actually different from (laughs) my third one. So my final one is I would like to leave behind an America that is capable of honest debate about serious things. And you'll note that that has two components. First, honest debate. I, you know, would love to see us as a society, as a culture, stop demonizing our opponents. And I know, you know, that's not a new thing that America just started doing. People have done that since the beginning of time. But I would just like to see the level of debate elevated, you know, not pulling words out of context to make our opponents look stupid or to make it appear that they're just ridiculous or that they're evil. They don't have any actually good points, but getting to the real heart of an argument and addressing it in good faith. And then, so that's the first component, honest debate. The second component, debate about serious things. I really worry, Mark, about our culture's tendency to dwell on the trivial, the sensational, the scandalous, instead of dwelling on things that matter, things that we can change, things that we can improve, ways that we can make a difference. You know, and I worry. I worry that we're just not serious as a people anymore. You know, we're Neil Postman some time ago, a long time ago, actually wrote a book called Amusing Ourselves to Death. And sometimes it seems to me that that's what we're doing. You know, we're on social media, we're watching TV, we're, you know, just engaged in these trivial social discussions about things that don't matter. And Neil Postman warned us, he wrote the book in the era of TV. So that was really his his focus was how television was damaging in ways to our culture about how, you know, because of television, we get all this news from all over the world, but it's become more a matter of entertainment because it's news that it's so distant from us. We can't do anything about it. No one's even suggesting we should do anything about it. It's just information that we take in and then maybe talk to people about, you know, so maybe it helps us be more interesting at a party. But I am worried about the effect of all of this on our culture and society. So um, my way of working on this, Mark, is mostly by just disciplining myself as I engage in debate. You know, I get a lot of opportunities to engage in debate and pretty serious debate usually usually in my work for convention of states, not as much as you do, Mark. So I want to hear your response to this in a minute. But I, I plan on disciplining myself as I do get to engage in debate, both in my work and just in, you know, the course of my regular life. I'm going to be disciplined 
to respond first to my opponent's best argument and not to just, you know, take advantage of the mistake that they made or the thing that's easy to knock down. But I'm going to try to go for their best argument and work at giving a good faith response to that. So want to hear your comments on that. Yeah, I love that. And I think this is really hard. The first part, especially. Uh, and I say that because <laughs> I've been doing this politically for 12 years now. And I always try to assume that my opponent is acting in good faith. And the reality is, I actually think that most regular people are. And by regular people, I mean people who aren't professionally engaged in politics, uh, people who aren't in the arena of politics in some way or another. If I go talk to my neighbor and they tell me that they believe we should have an open border and we shouldn't have any walls, and my assumption should be they love people, they understand America provides opportunities you can't get anywhere else, they feel for people who are fleeing other countries, or, I mean, I have the choice. Mm -hmm. I could assume that they want to destroy the United States of America, and they believe by having this massive influx of illegal immigrants, they're gonna be able to destroy the country more quickly. I mean, those are my choices of, of what to believe. And so what I try to do, and I won't say I'm always good at this, and it gets harder and harder, honestly, I try to assume the former, that they have a good heart, and I don't think their position is correct, but I understand where they're coming from. So part of what you're talking about is always trying to understand where is your opponent coming from. By the way, that makes you a, a better debater, a better conversationalist, if you can put yourself in the position of your opponent and try to understand where they're coming from. If you're gonna go for their best argument, you have to understand the argument to go for that. So I think it gets harder and harder, Rita, because more and more I think people are acting in bad faith and they're assuming of us bad faith. And when that's a one-way street, those dis those discussions become difficult, if not impossible. If your opponent is making arguments that assume you're an evil person and you're assuming they're a good person, that's pretty hard to have a good discussion. Uh, second is talking about serious things and something comes to mind, I'm almost embarrassed to say it, but I'm gonna say it anyway. I've been seeing this just show up occasionally in social media or in emails that I get. There's apparently a big debate about Kim Kardashian's backside right now. <laughs> and I, I kid you not about apparently she had implants and now her backside's smaller and there's before and after photos. And, and so that's a perfect example of why would anybody spend any time on that? It, it means nothing. Maybe it means something to Kim Kardashian. It means nothing to anybody else. But this is the kind of pablum that our culture is absorbed with. I actually think this also ties into number two that you talked about, which is what are you spending your time doing? Are you reading the great books? Are you reading Lewis? Are you studying the Constitution? Are you, are you studying faith? Are you reading and immersing yourself in the word? Or are you doing this all day and scrolling through your social media? Mm -hmm. Now, this might reflect my age, but... I spend very little time in social media. I, I'm required occasionally to post stuff because of my position. And so I do, I, I will comment on things and post things. I, I'm gonna be honest with you and people might be horrified by this. I never look at my Twitter feed. I don't even really actually know how to pay attention to that. I never look at my Facebook feed. Again, I don't even really, I mean, I say those words, I don't pay attention to that. I use it to post things that I need to post because of my job, but I see people, grown adults and kids alike, and you go to dinner with them and they're just here in their 
social media feeds. And I think one last thing I want to say about that, because it ties to you and your idea of studying and paying attention to stuff, it makes it hard. It changes your brain. If this is how you get your information, if it's only TV, if it's only the phone and everything's in snippets, it makes it harder to concentrate. I've, I personally found, Rita, that I had a lot of trouble getting started reading again. I hadn't been reading enough. And when I went back to reading, I was really struggling to focus for long periods of time. Mm-hmm. And I cracked that by forcing myself to sit down and read an entire book over a couple of days so that I could just get used to focusing again. It made a big difference in my life. Put this down, focus on something that takes you hours to do. It'll make you a better person, in my opinion. Yeah. And it is a matter of discipline. So I I absolutely encourage everyone listening or watching to take that step and, and engage in that discipline. Mark, once again, we're out of time, but we both got through our three. So thanks for engaging in this little exercise with me. And you know, I really hope that this has prompted our radio listeners, our podcast viewers to be thinking about what kind of America do you want to leave behind and to come up with some action steps of your own. And just a quick teaser, next week's program, we'll talk more about the Convention of States movement that Mark mentioned earlier. Um, So if you're interested in, you know, having some sort of meaningful actions that you can take to restore self-governance in America, I'd encourage you to tune in next week for that. So that's all for this week. I want to thank our generous sponsors at Blessings Christian Bookstore, Sunshine Ministries with Christian Radio, Wishing Well Florists and Travel Services, and our friends at New Beginnings Church and Garber's Church of the Brethren in Harrisonburg. Thank you all for listening and for your financial support. If you'd like to make a donation to help keep Crossroads on the air, you can do so by check to Crossroads at P.O. Box 881, Harrisonburg, Virginia, 22803. If you'd like to listen to this program again or share it, you can go to valleyfamilyforum.org and click on the link to Crossroads on the homepage. And that's it. I'm Rita Peters with Mark Meckler, inviting you to join us again next week for another edition of Crossroads, where faith and culture meet. Thank you for listening to the Crossroads podcast. To learn more about Convention of States, go to conventionofstates.com.